This is Indie Business Podcast, Episode 53. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Indie Business Podcast. I am your host, mentor and coach, Donna Maria, the founder and CEO at IndieBusinessNetwork.com and the hostess of the Indie Cruise Retreat and the Maker Mastermind Experience. My goal is to help you build a solid business foundation, increase your income, and use your business to create the life you love. On this episode, I will introduce you to Briar Winters of Marble and Milkweed in New York City. Briar started her business in 2017 after a career as a pastry chef. The tagline for her business is Analog Beauty, a mindset that very much represents the simplicity and elegance of her handmade products. Briar shares how she manages her business, including why she chose Squarespace to host her website and why she insists on making each and every product herself. You can get a summary for this episode at IndieBusinessNetwork.com forward slash 53. I can't wait to introduce you to Briar Winters of Marble and Milkweed in New York City. But first, this podcast is brought to you by the Indie Business Network the online entrepreneurial mentoring and coaching network, helping makers and handmade entrepreneurs launch, manage, and grow a sustainable and profitable business. You can find out more today and join at IndieBusinessNetwork.com. And now, let's welcome Briar Winters of Marble and Milkweed in New York City. Welcome, Briar Winters from Marble and Milkweed in New York City. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Donna Maria. Well, you know, I just, I love, I mean, what attracted me originally to your brand was the imagery. I mean, and I think anybody who's listening and, you know, read the intro to this podcast probably clicked immediately to your Instagram page because that's what I told them to do. It's just gorgeous. And we're going to dive into that a little bit. But let's back up for a second, Briar. Tell us a little bit about how you started your business. Yeah, sure. So I was living here in New York, uh, working as a pastry chef um, for about a decade and was really looking for a different direction to go in and just not sure what I wanted to do. Um, you know, it's it, it, restaurant work is really, really a hard work in a physical way. And I just, I was kind of exhausted and just wanted to explore the options. Uh, so I started making things just for myself kind of in my, my spare time. Uh, and really started to connect with that process and to connect with using plant material in in a different way. Um, There are a lot of, I I feel like there's a lot of overlap between what I was doing in the kitchen and and how I started my business because I was using a lot of the same ingredients. I was using sort of um, uh, some combinations of flavors and scents that I love to use in the kitchen and exploring those in a new direction. Mm -hmm. So So you kind of switched kitchens. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, and there's so much to that I feel like is so similar. You know, the attention to detail and mm-hmm. the, um, you know, recording every little uh, formulation change, and you know, there's there's a lot that it has in common with with pastry chefing for sure. What I do now. So. <laughs> yes, I, I think that's definitely something to take note of the the creative 
uh, personality that you need in order to make beautiful things on a plate for people yeah. to eat are similar to the types of uh, skills and talents you need to nurture to make your beauty products. And so, right, right. yeah, and, and I would imagine the overlap of the ingredients was also inspiring to you. So, um, yeah. so are you still doing pastry chefing on the side or a little bit? Or are you 100% full time at Briar at, at uh, Marble and Milkweed? Well, I'm pretty much 100% full time with my business for about the last three years. Um, one kind of upshot, though, of having worked in the food business for a long, long time is that I did make a lot of very, very dear friends there. And I'm kind of a softy when it comes to helping people out with things. <laughs> so sometimes I find myself roped back into a, a little project here or there, just <laughs> so. helping out for a day here or there. And it's, it's nice. You know, I love to do that. Well, that's fun. So. so you're still making the occasional um, moose. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. I do find myself doing that every once in a while. Well, yeah. Briar, tell us a little bit about that transition, because it's interesting that you say you, you developed a really great network of people in your food business, and they're mm -hmm. supporting you in your uh, current, your beauty business. So tell us a yeah. little bit about that transition and how you we're able to use that network to support what you're doing now in the beginning. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting because I, I hear a lot of different stories about how people start projects and start things, and I feel like the way that I always approach a new project is really slowly and in sort of an exploratory way, and that has worked really well for me. I know it wouldn't necessarily work well for everybody. Some people just love to dive headfirst into things, but for me, uh, you know, I was able to do some freelance work, do some part-time work while I was exploring the idea of turning Marble and Milkweed, you know, what I was doing into a bit an actual business, and that was really helpful um, because I didn't have any kind of I didn't have investors no one gave me any money to start my business so it was really good to just start slow figure out what I really wanted things to look like what I wanted my day to be like um, you know and all the while having this sort of network I could call on for freelance work um, mm -hmm. or you know odd jobs here and there that was really really helpful for me it sounds like um, you have like a woman after my own heart, like you literally tried to make sure you were planning your life as you were also starting this business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just so important to me, you know, if I was going to invest so much of my time and energy in what I was doing that I, I did it, you know, in line with my values and, and the way that I really wanted to do it. And so having that that balance was really important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. That's so exciting to hear. So, so give us the timeline here. You were a pastry chef and then you started your business sort of part-time. Give us the, the years and how things progressed to today. Oh gosh. Well, I'm going to have a hard time <laughs> finding exact dates. Um, it was probably, let's see, it was 2010 and I was working in a, in a hotel actually in Manhattan. I was working at the Essex House Hotel and uh, it's interesting because most kitchen, uh, most restaurants and, and kitchen businesses in New York, if you work full time, you're there like 70 hours a week. It's insane. But this was a union job and it was actually kind of amazing. I had free health insurance and I could not literally, according to the union rules, work more than 35 hours a week. So I had some time on my hands and that was when I started trying things out and making things for myself. 
And um, eventually I left that job to help a friend uh, open a restaurant, someone I had worked with before many years ago. And um, this was is a really big shift. I mean, opening a restaurant is crazy. And so Marvel and Milkweed kind of got put on hold for a little while while I was doing that. It was kind of in the background. Um, but, you know, the whole time I was in, you know, creating these desserts, it was a Singaporean restaurant, um, a friend of mine who's from there, and a small neighborhood place, and I was able to sort of create the pastry program there in a way that I could step back into my business a little bit and have more time to think about where that was going. Um, and so eventually I was able to, it kind of as the, as the restaurant progressed, I thought about getting a workspace outside of my home, um, and so I did that, and that was five, no, four, four years ago, four years, four years ago. ago, yeah. Yeah, and then I remember <laughs> in 2015, because you've been a member of IBN since 2014, because I keep yeah. track of these things, you, I remember <laughs> you moved from your first sturdy studio uh, in 20 end of 2015 beginning of 2016 into a yeah. new one right so you started in yeah. 2010 kind of part-time you had your own studio by 2014 and then you moved mm -hmm. it to a new one in 2016 and so yeah you know, I love to you know just kind of have a general overview of that timeline so people can kind of see so you've been doing yeah. this now for uh, seven years and yeah. Um, yeah so so we're gonna ask some more questions about about how things are going but tell us a sure. little bit about marble and milkweed as your brand what does that mean what does it stand for you know it's so funny when I first thought about what I would want to name my business you know I I used to write really bad poetry you know when I was in my early 20s as most people do I guess I assume um, you know, and I just loved putting words together, and it, it's almost kind of, it's, it's like fate in, in a way, because this name just kept coming to me, mm -hmm. these two words together, but I didn't quite understand what the significance of it was, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the marble part to me was always sort of like, a lot of what I, what I have tried to do with my business has actually been inspired by the fact that I have, um, it's it's kind of an old school New York thing. I have my closet bathtub in the kitchen of my apartment, and it's it's always something I wanted. I'm kind of a romantic. Um. You have your, your bathtub is in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is there a bathtub in the bathroom too, or? Well, the bathroom is actually just like a little water closet. Okay, like okay, that's right. We're closet. talking and, New York City here. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's a really vintage New York thing, and it comes from a time when these buildings were all built uh, to host newly arrived immigrants uh, to our neighborhood and there was no running water in most of the buildings and so um, you know as people moved through these spaces eventually running water became a thing and so they had to kind of retrofit the apartment basically for running water so the bathtub just ended up in the kitchen <laughs> okay okay yeah and, and so, so that, marble that and milkweed kind of fits into that yeah yeah, that was a big inspiration for me just because, you know, I was, when I first moved to New York, I was young and I didn't have much and th that was like the one luxury for me. It was like I could take a gorgeous bath in my bathtub and I didn't have to worry about anything else, you know, everything just kind of melted away. Um, so that was the original sort of uh, part about about the marble, but as my 
business sort of became more of a serious thing. Um, and I realized I, I also have a, a community garden plot here in New York City. And sort of part of my trajectory has also been learning a lot about gardening and specifically about native plants. And when I started to learn about milkweed and realized that it is the food, it is like the only food source for the monarch butterfly, I thought, oh, this is this is fate. Like fate kind of led me to this name because I've tried to create a brand that is eco-friendly, that's conscious about our environment. And to me, like it's just such a beautiful symbol, you know, that there's this plant that's sort of considered a weed, but then it's also this food source for this incredibly beautiful creature. Um, Mm-hmm. So that just kind of, it just all came together in a way. And it sounds, you know, I love how you're describing this because it shows that um, you sort of really were in tune with what was happening around you as you started your business. And you didn't like, you know, there wasn't like five books you had to read on branding and all this stuff. You just kind of took your personality and what was important to you and your message and put yeah. it together in a way that resonated with 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 your the products that you were making it sounds like and it and it seems like it's working you know i yeah a lot of it i i don't know anything about branding really <laughs> you know from a formal standpoint I, you're right i didn't start out from a perspective of like okay we have to have this and this and this it really was very intuitive but it sounds like, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about not knowing a lot about branding. I'm going to stick on this for a second because yeah. um, I think for, for makers and handmade entrepreneurs, um, the word branding is like so intimidating sometimes. Yeah. But when you hear you talk about it, it's a very fluid and naturally flowing process from what you believe in, what you want your products to reflect to the world. Mm-hmm and the type of customer you want to come along and buy them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really has been a you know, process of experimentation, but also mostly just following my intuition mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. about it. Oh, my goodness. And as women, could we do more of that, right? I think there's so much to be said for that. I mean, books oh, are great, sure. but intuition is even better. So um, when, yeah. I, when I go to your website and when I go to your Instagram, which everyone needs to go to and, like, live on <laughs> Briar's Instagram. Um, oh, thank you. you. You have lots of marble, like, like lots of things are taken on a marble background. So mm-hmm. is that part of one of the ways that you kind of tie things together around the words people hear and the images they see in yes. your marketing? Mm-hmm. Yes, very, very much. I mean, I just happen to love that aesthetic, but I also love that it ties in right. um, you know, to the whole picture. And it's yeah. also, you know, marble is such a, it, it's a natural material, you know, so it's coming from the environment, but it's so beautiful. And it's also so simple and it creates a background that I think really helps things to pop Mm -hmm. off of it and so it's really in so many ways it's really the ideal uh, look for a lot of my things yes and how perfect for Instagram too to have (laughs) to have all that come together (laughs) it's really a testimony to how following your intuition has has worked so well for you so um Briar tell us a little bit about the plant fam 
Com. This is something that I noticed from your website. You've, yeah. You seem to have created a collective or a community um, with other people who make sort of plant-based products and you are helping mm-hmm. each other to grow. So because community is so important to the growth yeah. of any business, can you talk a little bit about what that community is, how it came about, and how it helps your business be successful? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I felt very honored to be invited to be a part of the Plant Fam. Um, So Allie is from, um, she's out in California, and she has Aquarian Soul Designs, which is a bath and body company as well. And Jess, who has uh, Good For You Herbals, and she's, I think, on Cape Cod. And they kind of spearheaded this whole project because they felt like, Uh, there was so much kind of a feeling of competition between small indie plant-based businesses and they wanted to create something that brought people together to share resources, share knowledge, cross promote, and just really encourage each other, you know, and I love that. I mean, when I heard that this is happening, I was like, yes, please, I need to be part of this because it it is such a, a strange feeling sometimes you know, you don't know how to necessarily approach another business who's like a little similar to yours. You don't want to be like, oh, hey, I love what you're doing. And then people feel like, oh, gosh, they love what I'm doing. Maybe they're going to copy all my stuff. You know, there's this kind of weird feeling sometimes. But having this group, it's been so just open and positive and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, people sharing about where they're sourcing things from, which is like, you know, that's pretty radical from a business perspective most businesses are like oh, I'm not telling you where this came from you know but if our goal especially is to support uh, small producers of herbs or you know small farms and stuff then the more people know about it the better for them and for the planet and for you know it's it's, it's just kind of trying to create this this larger movement. I well, think. and it's a it's a beautiful thing that you've done. And let me tell you how I discovered it. So, um, I was I follow you on Instagram, and there yeah. was a chance to win some products. Yeah. And in yeah. order to win the products, I can't remember what I had to do. Leave comments or something. Tag someone. I can't remember what it was. But yeah. one of the things I noticed was that I kept seeing the same people commenting. So of course, then I followed them all and I went to their, (laughs) their pages and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a community. Mm -hmm. This is a community of people. And so when you're talking about uh, business today, here we are in 2017, makers, Mm -hmm. handmade entrepreneurs. So we are not traditional businesses, right? So the way they work is not going to work for us. And even if it did, it's just not fun. So so to be able to create community around your brand in that way, I just think it's one of the the things that we have to pay attention to. Because if you don't, you won't have community. If you don't have community, ultimately, you don't have repeat sales. And that's a problem. Yes, yes, exactly. So you guys, you guys do like Instagram contests, and I guess other sorts of things where you collaborate and create (laughs) this kind of groundswell of people around you. That's fun for everyone. And everybody gets more exposure and more eyeballs. And ultimately, that means they have more people to expose their products to. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it's it's been really wonderful working with them. I've met so many lovely people, mm-hmm. um, not not always meeting in person, of course, but you right, know, but you know, the, it's interesting that you say that too, Briar, because 
I feel, I mean, you know, I've had the Indie Business Network for many years. I have not met most of my members, but I feel very intimately connected yeah, to them. Yeah. And um, I think you, you say, you know, not meeting in person, but sometimes that virtual relationship can be every bit as powerful as the yeah. physical one. Not in every Absolutely. way, but in a lot of ways where business is concerned, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's really a great way to find people who you have things in common with that you otherwise would never have connected with, you know, yes. and that's, that's, I think, what's really special about it. So before we move off Instagram, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite tool or editor or whatever to use on Instagram? What's one of your favorite ones? Sure. The one I use pretty much exclusively these days is the VSCO. It's Visual Supply Company app. And uh, it's been around for a couple of years and they keep improving it. You know, every update is just a little better. And I, I love it. I love it because it's you can really fine tune things. You know, a lot of editors, it's sort of like a broader brush, but this I can really go in and and um, you know, sharpen something up a little bit. And I try to keep it, you know, I use pretty much the same tools each time to try and keep things visually consistent across oh, so my smart. whole account. So smart. Do you use any kind of scheduler on Instagram or even a, a app that allows you to post in more than one place at a time? You know, I haven't used that for Instagram just because I think that Instagram in general has not been good at working with schedulers. It, I, that could be changing. Um, I do use Hootsuite sometimes um, for Facebook and for Twitter. Um, but generally, I like to keep my Instagram sort of a mix of personal and business things, which I, I know a lot of social media gurus will tell you is a terrible idea. And I don't want to tell anyone it's a great idea, but it, it works for me um, just because I am such a small brand. Um, and, and it I works beautifully that... for you. And, and you oh, know what? Like you. I'm looking at your Instagram now and you have 14.3 thousand followers. Congratulations on that. <laughs> but, you know, what I, what I see is completely consistent with what you told me, which is your products are all about plants. So why wouldn't yeah. you have pictures of you with plants or growing plants or smelling right. plants or cooking with them? So, yeah. and that, and that's a lot of what I see on your Instagram. So I think it's perfectly consistent. Now, obviously as much as I love plants and they're beautiful and they make beautiful pictures, it would totally be a disconnect if the Indie Business Network started doing that. So <laughs> yeah. I, I want to bring yeah. that up because I think it points out that we all have to think for ourselves and gurus are nice and, and people who've, you know, are quote unquote experts. It's nice. Um, right. But you can't just do what they say, because they mm -hmm. say do it like, right, I just, That's you just so can't true. do that. So you have yeah. to really think it through. And you know, we have a brain and we're women and we're super smart. So absolutely, <laughs> we, we can definitely do that. So um, your website, marble marble and So so gorgeous, the imagery, like, can you tell us a little bit about how you set this up like is what is this built on and and how do you yeah. like you know maintaining whatever it's built on yeah sure um you know i started my website or my selling online on etsy uh, originally um and then sort of moved off of there onto my main site just because i wanted more control you mm -hmm. know over the visuals and everything i still do keep my etsy store there because i do have some very loyal uh, Etsy customers who won't purchase through any, any other venue. So I basically keep that going for them. <laughs> um, 
And it's also, I feel like, still a good way to occasionally get discovered by by a new client, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put all of my eggs in that basket uh, for sure. But I use Squarespace now for my website, and I really like it. I feel like it's pretty easy to figure out. I know people are always saying how much uh, more control you get with Shopify, mm-hmm. and I hear all mm-hmm. you know all kinds of different things. I I personally like Shopify. I avoid because of um, some stances they've taken politically and that you know is a big part of my business is very Mm -hmm. values based and so I really always want to make sure that whoever I'm aligning myself with is is someone who is honoring those Mm -hmm. those values Um, but I also have done personally two free trials of Shopify and I can't figure out how it works (laughs) (laughs) well that would be a clue there right (laughs) yeah Um, but you know again that is such a great example to share and a model to follow is that we can all look at the different options that we have. And social media is another example, right? Pinterest, yeah. Twitter, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and you can be everywhere if you want to be. But yeah. if you don't want to be, that's okay, too. As long as right. you're really maximizing right. where you are. And you've, you've obviously totally done that. So Briar, are you, do you, are you the maker? Like, do you make everything? I do. Awesome. I do. And I actually don't have any employees or any interns or anything. And sometimes I question. <laughs> well, are you, are you trying to kind of keep it that way so that you can have, you know, your yeah. higher end products and things that you can actually pour yourself into because that increases the price that you can charge for them as well? Yes, exactly. And, and that's been an ongoing struggle for me, actually, trying to figure out what my overarching philosophy is on, um, you know, wholesale, on how much to grow. I've gone through a lot of different stages um, with my business. And, you know, there will be some moments where I'll be like, yes, great, I'll take on more wholesale accounts. And I do that. And then I get to a place where, because I do everything myself, I get really overwhelmed and I get behind on stuff. And I say to myself, okay, we need to take the focus off of that. So it's like, it's a very much an ongoing process. I would so, say. so you are, as you go, defining growth the way you want it in your life at any given time? Yes. Like, okay. So now that is definitely not a traditional business model. <laughs> um, but I Probably love it <laughs> because it, it showcases that we can really control and define the course of our growth on our own terms. Like I remember I wrote a blog post once called um, how to go big without growing big. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. your brand and others, of course, and and increasingly more brands, actually, now that now as you know, as we continue to advance, um, I see that a lot like you don't have to grow big in order to be awesome and go big in your particular niche. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important to remember because there is, I feel like, so much pressure there is. to conform to a certain trajectory, you know, yep. that like this is what you do and then you take on more accounts and then you hire people and then, you know, and it's like for me, it's never quite felt like the right moment to do that. Sometimes I'll I'll make decisions that certainly move me 
in that direction. And then often I, I start to feel uncomfortable about what's going on. And then I check in with myself and I'm like, okay, this is actually not where I want this all to be going. And then I try and kind of re reroute, you know, what great insights, you know, and as I visit your website, I see that even though you are um, making sure that you don't expand or grow whatever you word you want to use beyond where you know in your life you want to be. I'm looking at your website and I see your products are sold. You're in New York. Your products are sold here in North Carolina. They're mm -hmm. sold in Texas. They're obviously sold in New York, Detroit, Colorado, San Francisco, mm -hmm. um, some online portals, which I'm sure are consistent with your brand. And I, I yeah. know that without even looking at them. And also <laughs> internationally, you have some stockists in Australia. I do. I do. Yeah. It's, it's been a journey with that for sure. And the thing I feel like as a very, very small business, the most important thing that I have learned about wholesale, just for myself, you know, I don't, I don't pretend that this is great advice for, for everybody, but I want in general, again, back to this sort of like values basing, I want to support and collaborate with in general, small woman owned businesses. Um, and that has been a real focus for me in terms of my wholesale program. That's who I like to work with um, because those are generally the people who understand what things might be like for me, you know, as a small uh, maker-based business. And so we have a nice rapport. You know, I've had moments where I've, uh, like, for instance, I do still sell on domino.com, but I hardly ever sell anything there. And I'm actually thinking about um, not continuing with that account just because I don't feel that personal connection, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where I really want to keep things is on the level of that personal connection. And, and there's always, everything is always so in flux. Like when Etsy, yes. probably when you first put your products there, it looked very different from yes. the way yes. it looks now. And Domino mm -hmm. today, not Domino next month. I mean, who knows, right? right? Because, right. Um, so it's so, you know, applaud you for taking and putting your brand on your own website so it doesn't matter what Etsy or anybody else does at yeah. the end of the day. So that was obviously... A good example of you following your intuition once again, which seems to work so well for you. So do you um, do you rotate your products? Like, do you have a line or do you have basic things that are a core and then you make things as you're inspired? How, how do you manage that, Briar? Yeah, so things have kind of shifted a little bit, you know, over the course of being in business for seven years. Um, I think one of the most important things that I've learned is, you know, I started out with a lot of different things, uh, a lot of, for me, a lot of different sizes. I thought I needed to give people all these options, and uh, and that turned out to actually be really overwhelming for me, and I know that that's something um, that has really helped is paring down to a really kind of core collection, mm -hmm. um, not offering too many options. And that having that be a very steady part of my business allows me to then focus on uh, seasonal items, you know, something that comes up, I, I try and do a few limited edition items for each of the four seasons. And that's one of my very favorite parts, actually, of what I do is because especially I end up working with small farmers and getting like a little batch of, of something and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, processing it myself at the studio and 
and just being able to have that connection and work on that scale is really meaningful. I, I love it. I'm, I'm listening to the New York City background music. Um, oh, are you hearing things? <laughs> yeah, I hear it. But you know what? It's, it's uh, again, I go back to you're working on your own terms. You're where you want to be. Your bathtub is in your kitchen. Um, you're very selective. I know, you know, my dog just, you know, opened the door and made a bunch of noise a little bit ago. So, um, you know, my hope is that everyone listening um, and, and my listeners in particular to this podcast are encouraged by that because so often we think it has to be perfect. And, you know, I can't do a podcast because the baby might start crying. Well, you know what? Um, that might be. And you might have to edit it out depending on what kind of crying it is. But at the same time, don't let your life, you know, you know, if you've built your business around what you want your life to be like, you know, we're not going to redo the podcast because, you know, the people were throwing stuff around it behind your building. And yeah. it's just, yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, we're going to go with the flow and we're going to adjust as we have to. And that's such a good example, what you're doing and what we're doing here together for everyone to yeah. follow. Oh, yeah. And it's so important. I feel like to just, I mean, that's, that's life. That's reality. You know, I think that as a small business person, mm -hmm. that kind of thing to some degree is what helps people connect with your business and want to support you because they want to connect with a person. You yes. Know? Yes. I think so. that's so, so true. Um, yeah. And what a great word of encouragement for our maker listeners who are um, trying to not only build a brand, but also figure out how to be personal in that process so yeah. that they're not commoditizing what it is that they're doing. Right, right, exactly. It's, yeah, it's so important. I, I feel like I'm always working on that to try and figure out what the balance is between sort of like the personal and, and the business and, you know, how much of myself to share. Um, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process, but I think it's okay to experiment. You know, I think it's okay to see what works. And, yes. you know, if you make mistakes, like oh well move, move yeah, on you know going I, forward, exactly you know? like I messed that yeah. up I won't do that again and that's how yeah. we learn um your yeah. tagline is analog beauty Briar tell us what that means yeah it's really uh it's a philosophy I feel like that can extend out into all parts of our lives not just natural beauty or you know whatever it is you're doing but it's uh we're so inundated with technology now you know we're all immersed in it really all day and how I want people to think of the things that I make is as a way to restore as a way to uh, escape to some degree but also to to really like as a restorative practice so that we can go back into that world and keep focused on what we need to be focused on and keep doing our work um, but that mm -hmm. we have this moment for ourselves that really uh, you know brings us back to who we are right and and what we want i was listening so. to a radio show um, the other day on NPR, and there was an yeah. expert, a, a guy who's done a lot of research in the um, Library of Congress on uh, analog, like, you know, like broadcasting. Oh. And 
and and I thought about you. You're the first thing that came into my mind. Oh, but I was like, it, it's the radio version of Marble and Milkweed. <laughs> so I think you really have touched upon a nerve. And I think what's so fascinating to me, and you've been uh, in business long enough to have experienced this personally as well, is that we've yeah. seen the internet grow and connect people across oceans. And yeah. for a while, do you remember when there were all these pundits and stuff were talking about how, you know, people weren't going to ever leave their houses again and they didn't <laughs> need local connections. And I think what the Internet's done is create a more of a yearning for people to be able to connect yeah. inside their communities. And that has made it even more possible for businesses like ours to thrive, the small yeah. business owner who is not who obviously wants to make money don't get me wrong but (laughs) that's not the main that's not the main and overwhelming priority right right well and and the understanding too that that we can't actually do one thing without doing the other you know I really don't think it's possible or most people wouldn't even want to I think have a small business like that with like we do without connecting right with with people I just I think that's one of the best parts of of what I do actually one of my very favorite parts is being able to connect with all these different people who may Mm -hmm. not be right where I am in New York City you know but who have a perspective that uh, is really valuable and interesting right and we can certainly learn because we have this virtual world at our disposal we can learn how other people are doing things whether they have our perspective or not sometimes we can learn more from people who don't Um, yeah and so it's, I love this. So tell me what is like your best selling product? What what do people like come back to you for over and over again? I know it's more than one thing, but pick one and tell me about it. Well, yeah, it, I feel like it depends a lot on the season. Um, just because, you know, the approach I tend to take and something I've noticed just when caring for my own skin is that I have different needs according to time of year. I mean, it's probably different for someone who doesn't live in a place with seasons you know like southern california but for me it's it's all very much tied to that that seasonal process but the one thing that i would say that has developed kind of a cult following over the years is the cardamom butter Mm. that is something that people just uh, you know i'll have people buy like four or five at a time (laughs) it's it's kind of crazy that's Um, actually what you were giving away as a part of that package back when yeah. I saw that Instagram thing and I was like, ooh, somebody else must have won it. So lucky her. Yes, I know. I know, right? I kind of secretly wanted to win all that stuff too. I know. It was a nice stash. Okay. So, so cardamom butter. So you yeah. guys, when you go to Marble and Milkweed, make sure you check on the shop link and then click on cardamom butter. It looks beautiful. There's a couple of size options that you can get there. And the color of it is just it's just stunning. And you'll see it pictured there against that marble background, which is so <laughs> beautiful for Briar. So any words of encouragement that you can offer to makers out there that are listening, Briar? Oh, gosh. I would just say follow your instincts and balance that out with a, a healthy dose of... Um, sort of, you know, commitment to the logistical side of things. I feel like that's the biggest struggle that I personally face. And I'm always trying to educate myself more about how I can be more organized, keep things flowing a little bit more smoothly. My focus is often on the creative aspect of things, but it's, 
you have to have both, you know, to keep things going. So um, the efficiency and the effectiveness, and we obviously have to have some of that in order for the creativity to allow us to be profitable. Exactly, exactly. And, well, you know, in the beginning, it was always a struggle, but uh, I feel like I'm, I'm in a better place with that as I we, go along. Cause, yeah. I, I think you are. I mean, it shows <laughs> that you're doing just that. And I, I love also that what's being made clear by this discussion is that you never really get there. You just keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you tweak yeah, it. You exactly. tweak it as you go. Oh, it's very much ongoing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, Briar, in closing, what does being indie mean to you? What does being an independent business owner mean to Briar Winters? Gosh, yeah, it means a lot, actually. It's really, uh, I'm in a place that, that no one really ever told me existed, um, just in terms of how I control my time um, the kind of creative work that I get to do. Um, no one ever told me that something like this was possible. Um, and so it, it means, it means a lot because I can, I can do things with my time that are outside the business. I can, you know, prioritize things the way that I want to, um, you know, I can I can donate my time to causes. It really it just opens up this whole new world of freedom um, in terms of what you know my life is going to be like and and how I can direct that process. So. Ooh, I love that freedom to direct your life and yeah. create the process as you go. Yeah. What fun. Yeah. What fun. Well, certainly we've gotten some great tips and insights and a whole boatload of inspiration from you today. Everybody check out marbleandmilkweed.com. Make sure you check out the cardamom butter. Make sure you check out the Instagram feed. <laughs> Make sure you check out the plant family people and um, take a look at some of these gorgeous images that um Briar shares with us on her Instagram feed. Briar, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Donna Maria. It's such a treat to talk with you. Absolutely. Me too. Have a good one. <laughs> you too. Thanks again. Bye now. Well, I hope this episode of the Indie Business Podcast left you inspired motivated and excited about the future of your small business. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with someone you know and help spread the word. This podcast is all about the revolution, the indie business revolution, where people are breaking the mold of traditional entrepreneurship and creating success on their own terms. I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. And if you're listening on iTunes, won't you do me the honor of rating this podcast? It helps me so much to know that you appreciate the amazing people and stories featured on the Indie Business Podcast. You can also share episodes from my blog at IndieBusinessNetwork.com to your favorite social media outlets. I will see you on the next episode of the Indie Business Podcast. In the meantime, break all the rules, build your own corporate ladder, and create the life you love.